Thank you, Gabe and Daniel. I tell you what, those kids had smiles on their faces, didn't they? I know if I'd been up all night, I'd be laid out horizontal there. We're so thankful for what God has done, is doing through our youth ministry. You know, you think over 23 years, 24 years, all the youth that have been touched, hundreds, thousands, that have shared the gospel, responded to the gospel, and is continuing. We're excited. What God is doing through Daniel, Gabe, the volunteers, the young people that uh, received Jesus, followed Jesus, and just going to continue. In fact, the Lord tells us, oh, by the way, I'm Pastor Tom, and uh, one of the staff pastors, and glad to be here sharing with you today. And so, in fact, the Lord tells us that as we respond to the gospel, that as we're filled up with Jesus, we share Jesus locally, regionally, and to the ends of the earth. There's a guy by the name of Dawson Trotman, founder and president of Navigator's Ministry long ago. He once said that missions, and that's what we're talking about this month and this morning, missions is getting on your heart that which is on God's heart. So the question that comes up, what's on God's heart? God's heart is on the world, on a hurting world, on hurting people, on people who are lost, who need to be saved. So as believers, a part of our call is to develop a heartbeat for the world, the kind of heart that God has. And we either have a heart for the world or we have a worldly heart. We either reach the world for Jesus or the world reaches us. We're in Romans chapter 15 this morning. You can turn over there in your Bible or on your electronic device. Verses 8 through 18 are where we're going to concentrate and ask some questions about why do we go to hurting people? Why do we go to the world that needs to know Christ with the gospel. There's a lot of truth in this passage. We won't be able to go in depth on all of it, but focus especially on the parts that are relevant to our topic. Go to the suffering, Romans chapter 15, 8 through 18. Why? There's a lot of compassionate people. You can see commercials all the time, especially starting this time of year, commercial after commercial about helping hurting people. I appreciated what Pastor Gabe said about it's not to pile on guilt or shame, but to be inspired by what God is doing and what God does and what he's doing in us. We're really just beggars sharing with others where we found the bread. And that's in Jesus. Romans 15, 8 through 9 gives our first answer to the question, why do we go? For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. So 
First point, we go because God's mercy becomes real to unbelievers when we relieve suffering. In the book of Romans, Paul has this grand truth that the gospel is what changes people's lives. There's a theme that begins all the way back in chapter one, goes all throughout the book of Romans. In chapter one, verse five, it says that through Jesus, for his namesake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And when it uses the word Gentiles there, you can substitute unbelievers. In that context, in that situation, there were many Jewish believers. And the call contextualized is to go to the Gentiles. Now, we are in the place of those we might call Jews for Jesus in the first century. Now we serve in that same place knowing Jesus. We go to those who don't know. So you see the word Gentile here, think unbeliever. It says in Romans 59 that the Gentiles will glorify God for his mercy. And so, particularly this morning, we're talking about how is God's mercy shown to people? What, what is it that happens that shows the mercy of God to people? Because many suffer in various ways. Many suffer in poverty. Probably don't need to define poverty, but... One definition I found is it's a state of deprivation in which people lack access to resources, basic necessities to live a healthy life, a dignified life. People that don't have access to medical care, people that don't have access to food or clean water. At least 40% of the least developed countries in the world, 40% of the poorest countries in the world, the life expectancy is 46 years of age. And in those countries, 45% of the population is under the age of 15. One of the things I'm always amazed at when I go is that I go to Africa, Asia, I'm a very old person because everybody's young in those countries. The older people have passed away when I go to Liberia. They were hit by civil war back in the early 2000s. They were hit by Ebola in about 2010. There just aren't many people at all that are my age. And so the opportunity to take the gospel and to relieve suffering is great. A few fast facts from World Vision. 719 million people, 719 million people, so almost a billion, 9%, to 9.2% of the world's population live on less than $2.15 a day. And, you know, sometimes our brain kind of plays with us and we say, well, you know, they don't have to heat their houses. Yeah, 
uh, often they live in warmer places. But you know what? Gas costs the same amount. Food may not cost quite as much, but it's expensive. And they're living on $2.15 a day. Oftentimes, one of the issues, as we were in Zambia just recently, and I know this is true in many places around the world, there aren't jobs or people don't have skills to work. Like one African pastor said to me, I've used this quote before, we don't know what we don't know. And you don't know unless someone teaches you, unless someone helps you. Other kinds of statistics from World Vision. Children and youth account for two-thirds of the world's poor. Women are often burdened with working at home, out in the community. Oftentimes, if I go out for a walk about 6.30 in the morning, I'll see women at food stands, something they've made at 3 o'clock in the morning, and they bring it, and they sell it there as kids are going to school, as people are walking to work. 63% of people older than 15 who live in extreme poverty have no education, no skills. That's why education, teaching is so important. Now, of course we hurt for people here in the United States. And we're not talking at all about ignoring people that suffer here in the U.S. That's really important as well. And we definitely want to minister to people who are suffering in poverty in difficult situations here. Statistically, 37 million people in the U.S. in 2021. But we can do both, can't we? Minister to people who suffer here and minister to people around the world. And when we encounter people who are suffering in situations of poverty here, try in your mind to multiply that by 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times in other places around the world. So part of what we need to do is expand our vision. God's mercy is shown when we minister to those in poverty. One of the ways that we can do it is through sponsoring children. At New Hope, we have a couple of kids that we sponsor through Compassion International. It's one of the biggest poverty relief organizations in the world. And there are many, many others. But here at New Hope, we have, for a number of years, sponsored two kids. Fatima down in Nicaragua and Ramadani. Hopefully I'm saying his name right. Ramadani. And Ramadani is in Tanzania. And so through Compassion International, we're able to help provide schooling. We're able to provide meals for the kids and some skills training. And you say, well, two, that's not very many. But it's something and really it's designed to be able to encourage all of us to do something. I know down through the years, Kathleen and I have done this in various ways, primarily through Compassion International. Back in the 90s, we had a young person named Lala Ramawiya from India. And 
You know, oftentimes when I go to India, I've thought, wish I knew where he was at. And just God at work as we go about doing what he's called us to do in some way to make an impact. And so that's one of the ways that we can help share God's mercy. Many suffer with food insecurity related, obviously, to poverty. And I think that one of the questions that comes to my mind is in this modern day of technology and agronomy, how can it be that people suffer from not having enough food? And while it is true that technologically we could have enough food to feed the world, the problem is that things happen. Wars happen. There are situations where it's too hot in areas around the world, and now they're not able to grow the kinds of crops that they were able to grow. People lack access to food. Sometimes skills as well. And so there's different organizations that I've been associated with in the past where it helps to teach skills of farming. A lot of times, though, for food, the problem is conflict and war. People are driven off their land. If they're farmers, people are driven out of their communities because of conflict that takes place. And You can see the conflicts going on around the world and imagine what happens as people become refugees. When I was in Liberia a few years ago talking with my friend David, he had been around in Liberia back in the 2000s when civil war struck and I asked him, basically I asked him, why are you alive? And he said, well, what he did was he went out to the jungle and foraged for food, for berries, for roots, for whatever he could find. And they fished in the rivers until the conflict was over. But not everybody was able to do that. And so when conflict comes, people suffer. People suffer because of unsafe water. As with food, Theoretically, there's enough fresh water in the world that everybody could have clean water. But again, they don't have access to that water. Poor infrastructure, conflicts, and about 2 billion people still use the source of water that's contaminated. 125 million infant deaths a week is what I found. Statistically preventable by simple preventive health care, access to clean water. My friend Earl traveled with me to Zambia. He's from Safe Water International Ministries. And we traveled together for two weeks. So he probably knows me better than some of you, which is kind of scary for him and for me. But Earl is going to share a little bit here about what Safe Water International Ministry does and what they've been doing. And then afterward, I'll tell you about a little opportunity that we have. So come on up 
and share with us, Earl. Thank you, Pastor. It's a pleasure to be here today. My name is Earl Ratcliffe. I'm from New Sharon, Iowa. It's about 70 miles straight east of here as a crow flies, and 90 miles if you take the interstate. Anyway, it's a pleasure to be here. <clears throat> I've been involved with Safe Water International Ministries since 2009. I have a friend who he and his wife visited a church for the first time, and they checked on the bulletin, we would like a visit from the pastor. Well, the pastor came out and visited and said, Greg and Vicki, welcome to church. What are you interested in? They said, well, we think we like missions. And the pastor said, we just happen to have a mission trip going to Nicaragua shortly. They signed up and went. The objective of this mission trip was to dig a trench from up on the hill, the mountain, down into the village so the village could have safe water. Well, they dug the trench into the week. They said, oh, great, it's done. Let's have a drink. And the Nicaraguan said, no, 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 no. You guys are from America. You'll get sick. And Greg said, how can that be? They said, well, you have bacteria in the water, and it'll make you sick. So he went back to the United States, and he started researching how in the world that could be. We have chlorine in the United States since the early 1900s. And um, long story short, working with other people, SWIM, Safe Water International Ministries, has developed what we call a CPU, a chlorine producing unit. And this is a technology been around for a long time. If you have a swimming pool and you use Hayward Pool products, they make something similar. Uh, we take uh, water, add 5% salt, put the, this device into it, and we plug it into 12-volt battery. And within minutes, we have chlorine that we can add and uh, treat water with. So since 2009, I've been involved. We now have these devices in over uh, 30 countries around the world. Uh, we distribute about 500 a year. And it was my pleasure to go with uh, Tom and Rob Yelnick uh, six weeks ago or so to Zambia. We took 10 with us, but the demand is so great. Uh, we're try I'm trying to uh, take another 100 back maybe next spring. My church is going to build a bunch, and we're trying to get some more built. Um, Safe Water International Ministries tries to provide with each one of these devices that we make uh, a battery and a solar panel. We buy those in country for two reasons. One, it's a whole lot lighter and easier uh, to get them when you're there. And number two, to support their economy. So that's what we try to do. And um, one community, this will treat a community of about 2,000 people. And... Um, for about $300. And that includes a battery, solar panel, the CPU, transportation maybe to get there for the uh, pastor or the, or the person that's uh, giving it out. Um, we had a friend from Malawi came down and joined us. His name is Moses. And he wrote this week a real common theme uh, for where we stand. The demand for CPUs is overwhelming. Um, some of our coordinators had to walk miles on foot to reach them. There's a huge demand for solar panels and batteries, and there's a demand for Bibles. The other thing that SWIM does is we, we receive money routinely for uh, Bibles. So when we went to Zambia, for instance, we took money and we bought Bibles in, in the local language and presented Bibles. Bibles are like gold for them. Just they're, They just want, want them in the worst way. Um... 
Moses mentioned this in his note to me, and this happened in Liberia last year. I was there a year ago right now and worked with a pastor, uh, Abraham Woto. He said, I drove as far as I could, motorbiked as far as I could, still walked for four hours to get to the communities that we serve. That's also common in Zambia. I think if you look at this picture on the wall, you see one car. That's a car that um, Pastor uh, Agrippa. Agrippa Agrippa Chidu drove to get to them. But in the community, there's no, no vehicles there. Everything's walking. It's remote, very remote. So you think about our uh, utilities, it's, it's in, it, it isn't there. It isn't there. So um, anyway. There's a whole lot more I could say, and I'll be around later to uh, answer your questions if you have any. But uh, I was mentioned to Gene before we started that uh, the only difference between them and us is where we were born. That could be us just as easy as not. So um, we need to be thankful for that, and we need to share our blessings. Amen. Thank you, Earl. So if you want to see the device, come up, grab him afterward, talk with him, and in the spring, in the winter and spring, we're going to have an opportunity to raise funds. And then March 3rd, in the evening, we're going to join the high school youth group. We want them to take the lead. And then anybody, any individual, any families, if you want to join and build some CPUs, we're going to have some stations set up. And we're just going to see how many we can build. We'd love to have you involved in that. So be thinking, praying about that opportunity after the new year and put March 3rd on your calendar. Christian missions, we go, we go places. And indeed one of the joys to see is that pastors like Pastor Agrippa can go to places even beyond where we go. And we went to some rough places, didn't we, Earl? I mean, like for an hour and 20 minutes, bouncing up and down on these tough roads. And, you know, it it was hard on our old bodies. But they can go far, far further to places where there are needs beyond us. And so we teach them how to learn how to purify water using these devices. And we have an opportunity, like I say, to be involved. People need to know God's mercy. And as they know God's mercy, that opens up opportunities to share the gospel. And that's the intent is both to support Christian communities and take the gospel to places where Jesus is not known. People that can come to know God's peace in Christ, God's forgiveness in Christ, God's Mercy to escape the bondage of the lies that Satan sows, that it's hopeless and bring hope. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, like I say, as we tie the book of Romans together, the apostle Paul, Romans 1, 16 said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of those who believe, Jews and Gentiles. Again, this theme that the gospel came to the Jewish Jews for Jesus, and now it goes to the Gentiles. The gospel has come to us, and now we take it to the nations. Let's go back to verse 9 in Romans chapter 15. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles may glorify God 
for his mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. Again, it says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, saying praises to him, all you peoples. Again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. And you can see God's plan going forward, that the coming of Jesus, verse 9, is the fulfillment of the promise given to Abraham as Abraham was led and told as he looked in the sky at the stars as he looked at the sand and the seashore and he was told you will have descendants more numerous beyond these speaking of ultimately the spiritual descendants Jews and Gentiles who would come to know Jesus and so everything is turned upside down Many of us know that the Jewish people had this complex in which they thought they were the privileged and the only frozen chosen and that they were the ones who were somehow only blessed and missed the reality that God's intent, God's purpose is to bless the nations. And so... These verses here, quotes from the Old Testament, are showing that, no, all along, it was God's plan to bring the gospel to the nations. Now, fortunately, the gospel went to the nations. It went to places like Europe and then ultimately came to the United States. And we are blessed because the gospel moved forward. And so today, the tables are turned. We look back and we say, well, they were kind of self-oriented and prejudiced. And now God invites us to go to the nations where people speak different, where people look different, where people talk different. I don't have time to talk about how these quotations all fit together, but you can dig in and see how the gospel first goes to the Gentiles and ultimately it's the Gentiles who are praising God. And even though we live in a very individualistic culture, God's plan is that the gospel would go to every tribe, every language, every nation, and it has and will. A few quick stories as we finish here. God's fulfilling his plan. And we can see this, 1900, there were about 50,000 Protestants in Latin America Kathleen has a relative on her um, father's side, a man by the name of Melvin Hodges, that I went down and studied some of his original notes of how the gospel went to Latin America. Today, there are 50 million believers, from 50,000 to 50 million in the past 100 years. 100 years ago, there were no Christian churches in Korea. Today, there are 6,000 churches in the capital city of Seoul alone. 1980s, I had the opportunity to do a Bible study with Koreans eager to know the gospel. 120 years ago, David Livingston explored the interiors areas of Africa. When we went to Zambia, there were signs to go to Livingston, Zambia. And the gospel 
though unknown 120 years ago among the 2,500, 3,000 Zambian tribes today, almost all those tribes have at least some believers and many have many believers. Lots of stories I could tell. We don't have time. God is at work as we take the gospel to the nations. We'll skip down to verses 17 and 18. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done. So we go to the suffering. We go because God's mercy is shown. We go because it's God's plan. And we go because it glorifies God. God has created you and me for his glory. The greatest thing that we can do, the chief end, as one confession of faith says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So called to do, called to be is to glorify God. The reason why you were put on earth is to glorify God. The reason for your existence is to glorify God. The reason why we go to the hurting, the reason why we minister to the suffering is to glorify God. It's God's call, God's grace. And so, We come today and we commit ourselves to continue to be vessels, right? The piano doesn't point to itself when it's being played. It glorifies God as the music goes forth, as the piano player has been created by God to give glory to God. And so God has created us not to give glory to ourselves, but to give glory to him as the creator, as the one who ministers. And that's what we're going to pray to that end. Lord God, we thank you that we can be your vessels, that we can be a church that has a heart for the hurting and the suffering, both here and around the world. Thank you for our partners. Thank you for the opportunities. We do pray, Jesus, give us insight and application of how to take the gospel, how to minister to people. Let us not be overwhelmed, but let us be inspired to go, to share, to support, to be available. And we commit ourselves to this end in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Tom. Will you please stand to join us as we respond in worship?
this morning that as you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, as you experience his loving leadership in your life, that the response would be this outflow of love. I encourage you this morning to to connect with Pastor Tom if you'd like, Earl if you'd like, to learn more about um, these opportunities to to reach the nations, to reach people who are suffering in ways that um, we certainly could imagine, but but we are not experiencing the way that they are. So um, I do encourage you to, uh, to follow up on where the Lord is leading you this morning. I want to encourage you as well that if you'd like to pray, there's folks available to pray. And as a reminder, after second service, the the packing party for Operation Christmas Child is going on down in the FLC. So that's another great opportunity to get involved, pack shoeboxes and send them all over the world to uh, to be a blessing to, to many, many children. So thank you for being here to worship with us this morning. God bless. <laughs>